0: Going live. Here we go. All right, here we go, everyone. We are here. I think there's a, a lag in this thing. I think that's what always throws me off, but it's never exactly the same. So all right, I don't here know. we go, everyone. Why is it on? We Twitch? are here. We kill that. All right. All right. I think we're good. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the fourth live stream for Secrets of Saturn. I am Jason Lindgren. If you don't know who I am, and with me is Wayne McCroy.
1: Merry Christmas, everybody, and good evening. Welcome to Secrets of Saturn Live.
0: Indeed, and we're going to be discussing Bill Cooper's Mystery Babylon series in this uh, episode because we've mentioned it multiple times, and there's a whole lot of important information in that 40-some-odd episodes. So, Wayne, what do you want to say about this before we actually get into it?
1: Uh, well, let's just uh, preface this whole thing by saying uh, Cooper was extremely well-researched into a lot of this material, and uh, he, he had put a lot of material out there on his radio show the hour of the time, and he paid the ultimate price for some of the information he put out there. Uh, he was murdered in cold blood in his front yard in November of 2001, shortly after the events of uh, September 11th. So, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things, and he was one of the few people that actually called it out before the events happened. And yeah. uh, said, whatever that this Osama bin Laden guy is going to do, don't you believe it.
0: Don't uh, and he said believe that I, it. <laughs> that's how he said it. And no. he,
1: said that, he said that in June of 2001. They said, whatever they're going to blame this guy for, don't you even believe it. And uh, they, he definitely paid the price for calling that whole thing out. So uh, we could say he, he knew his stuff pretty well. I think that that's a given.
0: Yeah. Now let's let's have some full disclosure on Bill Cooper. To my knowledge, he was a bit of a charlatan for quite a few years, as far as putting out nonsense UFO crap for. Um, I don't know how many years, I'm trying to remember actually, but definitely 80s. But once the 90s hit, he started going really hardcore with the whole uh, truther, patriot movement, like that kind of thing. And then he got really hardcore with the Mystery Babylon, uh, breaking down the elite and what everything is as far as uh, the religion of the elites and all that kind of thing. So serious, serious stuff. And as Wayne said, he did indeed pay the price for it because they gunned him down in november of 2001 and he had been he's the only person who truly accurately predicted 9-11 to my knowledge uh alex jones did mention something in july of 2001 but bill nailed it with Osama bin laden and everything
1: Yeah, and uh, just to kind of speak up uh, a little bit as to what Cooper said, his his early days in the UFO field and stuff were all about. Uh, he worked for the Naval Intelligence Department of the Pacific Fleet, and he was part of the intelligence briefing team for uh, the commander-in-chief of the Pacific Fleet at that time. So he saw a lot of top-secret documents and stuff cross his desk, and he later admitted in his book, Behold the Pale Horse, and in other places, and especially on his radio shows, that uh, he had been given disinformation. And he figured the only way to get accurate information out to the people was to actually uh, try to get in with the ufology crowd. So that's where his early work had led him, is into ufology. And he soon discovered that it was mostly all just charlatans there, and it was disingenuous, and it was a whole lot of... uh, Disinfo- uh, disinformation yeah. going on. Big time. Right. So from there, he started looking into the esoteric studies of things, and that's when he really hit pay dirt. And that's when he really started to uh, upset a lot of people in positions of power is when he started exposing this stuff. Uh, when he did it, this is, he was a pioneer of this uh, internet type radio genre. It wasn't even really the internet at that point. He was uh, broadcasting sure on... Is. Shortwave radio, mm-hmm. right. Uh, he was broadcasting internationally on shortwave radio, and the information he was putting out was groundbreaking at the time because this was, you know, pre internet days. You couldn't find uh, some of these materials and books and stuff that he was given information from, except in uh, specific Masonic libraries and, and places like that. So he was putting out a lot of this information into the public domain, and it had never been there before. So this was really groundbreaking stuff. So he turned a lot of heads and upset a lot of people by doing this. And that's when he came out with this whole Mystery Babylon series. So uh, this this is where a lot of really good, detailed, esoteric information came to the public for the first time outside of places such as uh, Masonic Lodges or, you know, inside different secret society libraries and things of that nature.
0: As a matter of fact, they made the claim that uh, one of their people in, on their they had an organization that he called kaji which was the uh, citizens joint intelligence task force or something like agency that. for
1: joint intelligence there you go the citizens agency for joint intelligence i yeah. think it was called
0: and i don't know if that's still in, around but that was bill's organization and uh, he they claimed that uh they had somebody that infiltrated the lodge and who was in fact a 32nd degree Freemason. They were discussing the rituals and all that right on the air. They did a uh, think I think three parts of the Mystery of Babylon series. Uh, it's with William Morgan is the name they used uh, the pseudonym because obviously they weren't going to reveal the dude's real name. Uh, probably get him killed. But there you have it. Uh, there's 40 some episodes. I think the numbering is a little off. Um, they sometimes I see them numbered one through 43, but I think one of them is is like a repeat or something like that but anyway there's definitely 40 some odd episodes and obviously we're not gonna have time to go through every single one but I do have some stuff taken out of the first couple episodes because that sets everything up really really well right from the get-go and uh, that's where we're gonna begin the first episode is called the dawn of man and they mean that literally and figuratively Uh, a lot of the stuff that's gonna get discussed is symbolism it's 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 allegory for other stuff But this is a quoting right from the first episode of the Mystery (laughs) Babylon series. The dawn of man. There are only two religions in the world, Mystery Babylon and Christianity, and those of the mystery schools believe that Christianity is a perversion of their true religion and seek to destroy it. As the program progresses, you will plainly see that Satan has carefully and deceitfully crafted a pagan religion of the dying and rising God that counterfeits the religion of Christ before the advent of Christ. For Satan was not unaware of the prophecy of the coming son of man, first prophesied in the Garden of Eden. Now, this is Bill Cooper quoting here. So when I say I, it's not meaning me, Jason. It's meaning Bill. All this is from Bill. Bill's uh, wording and also, um, just just to make a big disclaimer here, this isn't what I believe, this isn't what Wayne believes, and it actually wasn't what Bill believed. He stated many times, pr- probably in nearly every episode, in fact, that uh, he's talking about what he felt this was the perspective of the elite's religion, which is the Mystery Babylon religion. So all of these things have nothing to do with anything to do with the author's point of view or wayne or myself wayne and i actually have differing religious viewpoints and uh it doesn't seem to really make a difference we still come to the same conclusions for the most part continuing on with Bill. that's right when i first saw the movie 2001 a space odyssey i was amazed odd to say the least the entire scope of the movie was overpowering and for most of the people of the world was completely baffling Most people who saw that movie did not understand from beginning to end what it was that they had experienced, but they knew, everyone who saw it, knew that they had experienced something profound, that something had been communicated to the dark, deep recesses of their mind, which they did not understand, and indeed, which they were incapable of understanding. For you see, the movie was not meant for the profane, quote-unquote, as most of us are called by the adepts, or the initiates, or the priests of the mystery schools. For that movie was a message to those initiates who were well-versed in the symbology and the mystery religion of an ancient religion that is practiced to this day in secret. Now I am going to tell you the meaning of the symbology that you saw in the movie 2001, for it is the story of the entire human race, according to the history of the mystery religion of ancient Babylon. Now, I can assure you that you will not understand any of what you are going to hear without ample preparation and without a basic understanding in the symbology of the ancient ancient religion. And you're going to get that. And this is going to be a series of programs that will, in fact, take probably many hours to complete, which indeed it did. Now, I think a lot of people in 2019 are way ahead of anybody would have been when this was released in 1993. Just because if you're here and you know even who Wayne or I are or Crow or any of us that do this kind of work, you're way ahead of just about anybody in the 90s. There are people like Jordan Maxwell starting to give speeches and things like that at uh, conferences and things like that. But it just wasn't big like it is now. Like A lot of people are into this stuff now. So I would say you have a huge leg up on a lot of folks from 20-odd years ago. How about you, Wayne? I don't want to hug this whole conversation here.
1: No, absolutely. Uh, people need to realize this was groundbreaking stuff Cooper was doing at the time, and uh, he really laid a lot of the groundwork for later guys like us to come along and be able to know what direction to look to find this information. And I can tell you, uh, personally, my research, I've actually checked the sources and stuff that bill has laid down throughout this mystery Babylon series and throughout his uh, hour of the time radio show. And I could tell you the things that he's saying that he, he's saying, this is actually there. You could read it in this book. It's really there. And this is what it says. And he, he quotes a lot of this stuff verbatim. And I've actually uh, gone through and collected many of these documents and stuff and these sources that he's cited throughout uh His program there and I I could verify I I went I I did this myself uh, just because some of the things that he revealed in that whole mystery Babylon series were so shocking and profound that I went back and I checked to make sure he wasn't reading things out of context or anything and I could tell you the guy wasn't reading things out of context this was in their own words in their own manuals and their own books Uh, That up until that point were only available uh, through the secret societies themselves, through their libraries or um, their book suppliers and and places like that. So this was stuff that wasn't privy to the public at large. You had to actually be uh, a card carrying member of one of these secret societies to even get your hands on. Some of these books, and the vast majority of them, were only available in masonic libraries or you know places owned by the secret societies, their own personal libraries. That they had. It wasn't something that your your uh, you know run-of-the-mill mason would have at their house. Even this is something that would be only found in a masonic library, where you would have to go in order to study this. Which means you'd had to be a member and would have had to have been a, have access to this library at your disposal so like a lot of this stuff was not available then but it's readily available now you could find most of this stuff still out on the internet there mm-hmm. and a lot of it's available for free as a like a pdf download and I, i've got a vast digital library of a lot of these materials that i've looked into
0: wayne's library of alexandria digital yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a mostly digital library, so I I try to keep it backed up in multiple places just in case anything happens, but uh, I would prefer to be able to get an actual physical book library like this. I just simply lack the space to do so. I do have a a good uh, amount of regular books, but uh, my digital library is far larger than my physical library at this point.
0: And that's what Bill Cooper would have had to have done. We're talking about the early 90s. There wasn't a bunch of stuff on the internet yet uh the internet existed and i think he does even mention it here and there but it just wasn't i mean this is this is the days of when people were starting to get crappy aol and things like that and everything was like Burr, beep 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 and barely working and all that kind of stuff it's it's not like today where you <laughs> i remember those days yep. <laughs> a, with, yeah exactly you can walk down the street and look up any damn thing you want from the little gadget in your pocket man i when i was watching star trek the next generation as a kid in the 80s and they're walking around with these pad things and all that. Like never in a million years did I think that this would exist in my adult life. It just—it just seemed like it was too far ahead. But touch screens are here, man, and that's everything in Star Trek: Next Generation is touch screens, and that's what we've got, and we've had them for like over ten years now. It's—it's it's pretty cool. Uh, yep. Er. Technology is great. Uh, I, use it as a tool. Don't let it engulf your life, as we always. Say.
1: Absolutely, and that's that's great advice, Jason. It is. It's a tool could be used for good or bad. Use it for good. Use it as a tool to do useful things in your life and uh, don't let it dominate your life. And that's that's the key right there. It's good to have and it's good to use. But uh, there comes a point where you have to draw a line and say, okay, enough. I, I need to put this down now. So and that's that's a hard line for a lot of us to to come to.
0: By the way, I'm actually working from notes uh, for this particular live stream. So if anybody asks a question or super chats us or anything like that, I, will, I promise to get to you. I just might be a little more distracted than I usually am and keep going back and forth between everything. But all right. So we're talking about the first episode, which was called The Dawn of Man. And in the first episode, it is stated that the first priest of the mystery schools was some individual of early humankind who became enlightened with information And this placed this individual above the other members of early humanity. This is demonstrated through the allegory and symbolism of the monolith, the black. It wasn't a black cube, which I think a lot of folks know what that means, right, Wayne? But it was indeed a black obelisk of sorts. Not not a pointed one, though. Uh, In the film 2001, A Space Odyssey, this obelisk person then began to initiate others into the mysteries this goes right along with something that i've actually been saying for quite a few years and that's that the mystery schools and secret societies anything like that that has an initiation level and it keeps everyone else out and everyone else is profane and uh, you're, we're the superior ones uh, it's all about information and i think if it really does go back as far as the implication is here we're talking about some serious information that. uh maybe how things really were. I mean, it's, it's really hard to say. Uh, but it's information that, of course, they possess and keep only for themselves and never to be shared with the profane. And that is a word that does indeed get used, especially with Freemasonry, but I do believe other secret societies use that term. The profane, and that's us, because we're not one of the Brotherhood, whichever one it ha- that we happen to be talking about. The profane are the commoners, and they are, of course, outside of these organizations and... Uh, not in the light, let's say. (laughs) Your turn.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This was something uh, that these, uh, quote-unquote, mystery schools actually invented. It was the whole concept of secrecy. And this is also one of the biggest and most utilized forms of mind control, even up until this day. A lot of people don't realize secrecy and keeping secrets That's a form of mind control, and it's a form of manipulation. And somebody very, very early on in civilization found out, let's see, I could utilize, say, this certain tool, and what they allegorize in these mystery schools is fire. It was fire was the tool that this first early man learned how to use, and all the other people had no idea how to use it. Uh, The story goes that a lightning strike one day, struck a tree, and the tree caught on fire. And through trial and error, that first man discovered how to keep the fire burning. And once he discovered this secret, this gave him power over the other people. Because the allegory goes back then, I mean... At nighttime, night, darkness was the enemy of man, was the early enemy of man. And this is where the whole darkness and light kind of allegory comes into play. So this man learned how to control the fire. So he became the first priest king. So being the first priest king, he was able to control fire. This, this drew the people, the other people, to him. They wanted to be around him because he was able to to set a campfire at night and keep away the animals and stay warm in the darkness and keep the darkness at bay, the first enemy of man, the darkness. So this is what this is about. So he knew how to control this technology and he kept it a secret from the others and only allowed the certain few that would do exactly what he wanted them to do to learn the secret and pass on the secret to, and this is how the whole thing supposedly started. Now this is allegory. Nobody knows for sure that this is how everything really started, but this is what they tell in the mystery schools, uh, particularly the ones with a more Luciferian bent. This is their story that, that they give for the start of where this stuff all comes from. So, this is one of the things that they still use today, this secrecy. They, If they know something, if they have a piece of information that they know that society at large doesn't, they use it as a form of control, of mind control and manipulation. And that's the biggest thing that they teach within these secret societies is how to dangle this carrot over other people and use it to get your way.
0: Oh, by the way, we forgot to say hello to the Fringe FM because I'm sure we are also transmitting their... Live, So hello to Joe Roop and everybody out there. And uh, perhaps we should take a moment to discuss why there are obelisks everywhere. And it's actually a pretty easy thing to answer. Uh, the obelisk is the penis of Osiris. It is a, a very ancient symbol. And it's because these things go back to ancient Egypt. A lot of symbolism in Freemasonry is from ancient Egypt, so when you see these objects all over the place, you know who the rulers are. They're telling you, they're showing you, here's my (laughs) thingamajig.
1: Yep, (laughs) and actually a lot of this stuff really, it it predates ancient Egypt. It's just that uh, according to these mystery schools, Egypt was the place that found the perfection of, of the whole system, so that's why it's held up in such regard as it is. Because this is where the mysteries found their perfection, is in ancient Egypt. And uh, this is where they were able to allegorize a lot of this stuff. So, this is why, you know, most of these secret societies and stuff, they all draw back to ancient Egypt as the example. Because this is supposedly where the mysteries found their perfection. And this is where the teachings found kind of a common background with Within all the different systems, because all the different cultures of the ancient days had uh, their own forms of, of mystery schools, like there were the Bacchic Mysteries and the Dionysian Mysteries and all these different mystery schools. But they all basically taught a lot of the same premises. It's just they changed up the names of the different aspects that they were teaching, uh, using different gods as, you know, the the names that, that they use for these different concepts. So that's that's where the confusion comes in. But most of them will actually draw back to ancient Egypt because they had the richest mythology uh, that went along with these mystery school ideas. So that's where they say that the mystery schools found their perfection is in ancient Egypt. So that's why all these things kind of draw off of Egyptian symbology for things. And,
0: well, I guess we should address this first. Someone's saying... Uh, The general question of where are these elites really from and and what about Saturn and all that. Um, The elites, in my opinion, I don't think that they're uh, blood-sucking lizards or any of that crazy stuff. I think that they're a group of people who do have knowledge that uh, the rest of us do not, for the most part. And it's in families. I, I I can definitely accept the fact that it's in certain old families that's getting passed down. That's why you see them over and over and over again in these families, I mean, the Bushes are a great example, just going into these secret societies, uh, the next generation to the next. Why? Well, because that's where they're learning things. They're behind these closed doors that absolutely nobody else can go to. So I think that's part of it. Now, there's a whole other aspect to it, though, beyond the physical, (laughs) that I definitely subscribe to uh, because I've seen some crazy stuff uh, on a spiritual level. I think there is a massive spiritual component. Call it what you will. I just think that there's an aspect to life to nature that is not necessarily a physical tangible thing you can pick up and throw a rock at and i think that the darker aspects of that are what the elite subscribe to wayne
1: and i kind of agree with your assessment there i think that's pretty well spot on uh there is a spiritual component to this no doubt in my mind i've had a lot of really weird experiences and stuff too so i mean i i I definitely know where you're coming from with that so uh It's one of those things where, yeah, I I don't think there's like lizard people or anything running the show. I think at the top of the pyramid, it's human beings that are are disseminating this stuff. But there is some kind of a a greater spiritual force working behind the scenes with these human beings disseminating a lot of these things. And, you know, there's a lot of different uh, directions you could go with this idea. And there's a lot of people that have researched a lot of this stuff and come up with different ideas as far as how it goes um, the Gnostics for instance would call these beings behind the scenes these spiritual spiritual beings or spiritual powers archons mm-hmm. and that's that's one that's more commonly uh, known throughout this this community of uh, you know truth seekers or uh, spiritualists or, or whatever you want to call us conspiracy theorists quote unquote whatever you want to call, those of us who are out there just trying to find truths and answers to things. But uh, there's, there's a lot of different uh, ideas as to what these things could be. And we could argue all day long because nobody knows for sure what a lot of this stuff is. Right. So, you you know, I, I don't doubt for an instant. One thing I can say for certain is there's definitely a spiritual component to it. So I think there's something beyond human, a beyond human power That kind of directs and leads a lot of this stuff in different directions. But at the top of the power structure here, I think it's just regular human beings. You know, elite family bloodlines. Yeah, something along those lines is definitely running the show here. But uh, what they're being directed by, that we could speculate all day long. I don't think anybody really has the answers to that, except for maybe the folks at the real tippy-top of the power pyramid. And they're not telling...
0: But there are implications in a lot of things that did get out, like uh, I, I definitely think that Alistair Crowley probably was tapping into something that maybe he shouldn't have been, uh, just as an example. There are people who do dark things in this world, and uh, things do happen as a result of it. I, I've seen it. I, I've seen things happen. I, I've seen some crazy stuff in this world, and uh, there's something to it, and... Take that as you will. I mean, I'm not the only one who's experienced these things, Wayne. I know you've had spiritual experiences too. So it's like these things do go on. And if you're willingly opening yourself up to this stuff, goodness only knows what could actually happen. Especially when you're trying to do things on a mass scale. There, there are there is something to mass consciousness and human beings putting their minds together. And maybe some of it's window dressing, like. Uh, dressing up in robes and candles and, and doing all, all that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of it's just silliness, too, uh, that, that people do, especially in the modern era. But what, what do these people really do? I mean, I think there's something to the creation, cremation of care ceremony. There, there definitely seems to be something to that. It seems very druidic in, in its uh, ancestry. But I think if it's indeed a sacrifice of some sort, whether it's mock or otherwise, the whole point is the intent and the power of the hundreds of minds there that are putting their intent toward the ceremony that is going on there's something to this stuff
1: right and you just hit on a real key point right there jason it's all about intent and intention
0: intent is everything. that's
1: what right and that's what powers all this stuff uh that's why ritual and uh those things like you said the bohemian grove ceremonies all that stuff uh it all has to do with intention so intention is everything and you could have good intent or bad intent And uh, my concern is that the people in positions of power, they don't have the best intent for the the common man in mind when they do these things. Because they they really do draw power from these things. Uh, This stuff is not just, you know, fictional or nonsense or hoo-hoo or whatever you want to call it. There's real forces and stuff at play behind it. There's real things that go on with it. There's a real spiritual component to it. That does uh, happen, and a lot of it has to do directly with consciousness and the conscious will and intention of man. So when they do have enough people putting power behind these things, it it feeds into our reality with that in in different ways. So this is something where uh, a lot of people with the same intent could bring about different things in our reality That they're looking for that may not be in our best interests at large for people. And if they're directing enough energy and stuff to it and directing enough of their conscious, you know, uh, thought patterns and energy and, and lifestyles to it, it's it could help to bring it about. And that's, I think, by and large, what's going on. You could call it magic with a K on the end if you'd like, or you could look at it in a more scientific term and call it causal engineering which is exactly what it is. It's part and parcel of the same thing. And uh, it's it's not nonsense, like people think. There's definitely something to it. Do I understand how it all works? No, definitely not. But there's definitely something there, and it ties directly to consciousness, and there is a spiritual component involved with it. And these people in positions of power understand better how this stuff works than we do and know that something's there, and they use it as a tool for themselves and that is where uh the disconnect comes in because the the masses at large don't understand this stuff and this stuff is being used against them and they don't even realize it and a lot of them don't even accept that it's real so just because you know you don't think it's going on doesn't mean that it's not going on and that that's the thing people think it's a lot of nonsense i could tell you from personal experience and from things i've seen and things i've experienced There's a real something there behind it, and people need to be aware of it.
0: Now, you used a real heavy term there a moment ago, and that's causal engineering. Why don't you break that down before I move on to the next point here?
1: All right. Well, that's basically just a scientific term. Uh, It means to bring about or engineer a certain cause or even a certain effect because of a cause. So it's, it's a pretty basic thing. You could look at it as uh, more of a scientific explanation for for how magic, quote unquote, actually works. It's causal engineering. It's just bringing about something that you want to happen using whatever tools and resources are available to you. Now, these people understand energies and resources better than we do. Things that we don't even understand exist. Like take, for instance, uh, let's go with a little bit more of a scientific type approach here. Let's look at something, say, like uh, the concept of ether or ether physics, which has been heartily poo-pooed through the, the 20th century here, even though there's really a there there with it. Yeah. And, you know, you bring about guys like Einstein and stuff like that that put out these wild, wild theories about things, how they work, that have no basis in scientific method to really prove uh, – With a lot of things with cosmology and and other things like that, that you really can't perform an actual experiment on. They come up with uh, these mental gymnastics, these different mathematical formulas to flesh things out. Even Einstein, when he came out with his general theory of relativity, he had to put in something he called the quote unquote cosmological constant to make it work. Now they call it dark matter. (laughs) <laughs> there's no evidence this exists. This is just it's plugging mathematical numbers in. That's it. Right. It's it's plugging variables into the formula to make it fit what you want it to fit. And that's the thing that's going on. But, I mean, if you look at something like, say, ether physics, there's a real there there with stuff like that. There's been experiments done that, that show that there's something there. And even common sense would tell you there's something to it um, if you have any understanding of how things work there has to be a medium through which motion could take place because if there's no medium, there's no motion. So this whole idea of, you know, space and time curvature, it sounds uh, a little out there. I mean, space in and of itself has no properties. Like when you actually look at the definition of what space is, space has no properties. How did, how could it be curved? (laughs) Think about that. Something with no properties how could it all of a sudden have these properties? It doesn't make sense. So and well, the other thing, uh, you know, well, just not to get off a of topic too much, <laughs> but uh, that that's kind of a comparison we could make. OK, perhaps these people at the tops of the power pyramid understand how the ether physics and stuff works and how ether works and have a real separate set of physics off the books than what we're taught in public and know how to use this for their own gain. And that's just one example that I could say is kind of a type of the same type of thing. They understand different uh, energies and sciences that we have no clue about, and they're using them for their own advantage.
0: Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. Uh, before we get back to, to the Bill Cooper stuff, I, I something I always thought about was they, they call it space-time or the fabric of space-time. And that implies that there's something there, almost like they're trying to tell us that maybe the they do know there's an ether of sorts and they're just giving it a different name but there's no constant or stuff used for that so they use nonsense like uh, well the cosmological constant was the old one as wayne said and now of course the universe is i've heard different percentages but there's a very high percentage that the universe is all this dark matter can't see it can't do anything with it it's kind of like gravity waves they just say that it exists but can't measure it no they can't can't see anything. it,
1: can't measure it, can't duplicate it. But you know, they, they claim it's there and they call it science. And what? you could put you could put the term quantum in front of anything too. It's pretty much <laughs> the same as magic. You could say, you know, <laughs> well, it's quantum, quantum physics. Coffee. It's magic physics. Same thing, same idea.
0: But here's the thing, uh, if if such a thing as a black hole actually exists, you know, this of course is going with the mainstream structure or something along the lines of the mainstream structure of the universe. But let's just go with that for the moment. We're just doing a thought experiment here. If indeed there is this space-time and black holes and things like that exist and the singularity concept, as they say, that <laughs> means that there's got to be some sort of tangibility to space-time because there is a point, a mathematical point, where... There's only so much matter that can be stuck into a single point before it rips through uh, the fabric of space-time and becomes a black hole. Basically, it breaks it. So that there is implication, even though they say it's nothing, that it's something. And it, that's almost, you know, it's, it's it's almost like doublethink, wouldn't you say, Wayne?
1: Absolutely. And I think that's what the intention is behind it. Keep people so confused and discombobulated about where it is they exist and and how things work that they just can't even question it anymore. They just accept it because some dude in a lab lab coat told them this is how it is and this is how it works. Uh, Even look at something like gravity. I mean, gravity, nobody could really explain how it works. Uh, They say that, you know, they claim that it's it's directly proportional to mass but that really doesn't make sense. And then they, they claim that it has to do with rotation. But that also doesn't make sense either because I, I don't know about you, but I've never witnessed uh, where, say, you get a merry-go-round or something spinning and things get attracted to it magically because, you know, <laughs> it's spinning and it's got mass. So even like you know, I, I never I've never seen small objects fly towards the rotating uh, mass that there is. It doesn't make any sense. Like that's not how it works. But yet, also on the, with the same token, even though it's mass and it's it's rotating mass that attracts these things, you could jump up in the air and and break this gravitational pull. You could get a balloon filled with helium and watch it fly up to the sky. Uh, it it doesn't make sense, and that's the other thing. I, you know. It just, a lot of this stuff defies logic when you break it down and look at it. Uh, even something as simple as, is the ground spinning beneath us? Well, wouldn't it stand to logic if the ground's spinning beneath us? If you were able to, say, get in a hot air balloon and go up in the sky, wouldn't the earth spin past you? And then if you just lower the balloon back down, you'd be, you know, a thousand miles away from where you were when you went up or something? It, you know, it, it's they can't explain how... Gravity, it'll, it'll drag everything with it, it under certain circumstances, but not other circumstances. So it, it's it's one of those things where it just makes you wonder, where's the logic to all of this? But yet, people readily accept this stuff as being scientific fact, even though you, know, you could do these different thought experiments and poke holes in it all day long. There's inconsistencies there. Now, that's not to say that there's not necessarily something to it. There probably is something to it, but we don't understand how it works and what we're being uh, spoon fed by the powers that be uh, keeps us in the dark totally about it. So this is where we're at. So if we we have, you know, look at things from that perspective, who knows what other stuff that they know that we don't and that they're using to control us.
0: Mountain Smithy, thank you so much for the super chat for 555 and. The comment is, <clears throat> excuse me, I can't speak today. <clears throat> the elementaries, demons, shayatin are beings who have sunk beneath the plane of material existence through their wicked deeds, and that is attributed to Spirit World, spelled W-H-I-R-L-E-D. That's very interesting. Got anything to say about that, Wayne?
1: No, no. Just uh, taking it in. Uh, I'm always... Uh... I always appreciate people's input into things. And even if it's something that sounds ridiculous, uh, sometimes there's merit to it. So I I always look at things with an open mind and try to find value in it. So even something like that, that a lot of people might say, ah, that just sounds like a lot of nonsense. Hey, there might be something to that. So, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt, look at everything, listen to everybody, (laughs) be careful what you dismiss. And try to, uh, try to find the value in it and try to poke holes in what you're being presented with. And, you know, use a little discernment. And that's the thing. Discernment goes a long way. So if people put something like that out there, there's probably a reason they did. They felt compelled to do so because maybe they know something I don't. And that's something that I take seriously because... If there's something to look at that I'm not familiar with, I could learn something new, and it might be a missing piece of the puzzle I've been looking for. And I've encountered that numerous times throughout uh, the course of my research and my life. So I I try to listen uh, to what everybody has to say. And, uh, you know, I take what I find valuable from that and move forward with it. And what I don't find valuable, I just discard.
0: So now Mr. Cutfolks is asking a bunch of questions about Bill Cooper I, I, I don't know if you heard the beginning here uh, of our live stream today where we addressed that Bill did used to engage in a lot of ridiculous nonsense regarding aliens and UFOs and stuff and I think it's shameful that he did that crap I, th- I think that that's all fraudulent and uh, I don't know what he did or didn't see in the in the Navy uh, the story that he always told was that he saw uh, a USO which is a, an Unidentified uh, submersive object or submersed object, you know, basically an object that came in and out of the water while he was on a ship. Who knows? But that's his claim. And uh, he later recanted all that stuff and said that this is a whole bunch of fraudsters and hucksters. And then he got into, in the 90s, this whole Mystery Babylon thing and the Patriot movement and uh, just all that kind of thing. As a matter of fact, he was big on calling out people. Who would talk some silly stuff like he, he used to accuse alex jones up and down for of being a, a fraudster and a huckster uh, same thing with art bell He used to call him art bullshit bell but uh, if anybody thought art bell was anything other than entertainment not to say that some of the guests didn't present some good information it was so mixed up i mean it was one great big gumbo of silliness with a little bit of good stuff sprinkled in for good measure but most of it was <laughs> bigfoot ufo alien this that and the other thing uh who's that one crazy lady that's uh does zeta talk nancy leader people like that david wilcock you know the people who are obvious fraudsters and if they're not fraudsters then they're they've got some issues that's all in my opinion i mean i i can't prove anything for all i know nancy <laughs> leader talks to little gray aliens i don't know i don't know the lady but that's art bell for you and coast to coast is. Uh, kind of cleaned up a little bit. It's a little more realistic, but they're still going to mix Bigfoot with talks on the federal Reserve. So I still look at it as yeah. entertainment.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the thing. I mean, you can't completely outright dismiss everything these people are saying because with most of this stuff, there is a kernel of truth in there, but it does take a little bit of discernment and a bit of research on your, your individual own part to actually uh, vet out what is correct and what is not correct, and what has value and what doesn't. So I say there's no harm in listening to these people. Um, in fact, if anything, even just for entertainment's sake, uh, I used to listen to Art Bell and stuff a lot, and you know it was uh, was a good show. Uh, it was you, you would get some kernels of truth out of there. And you would also get a lot of ridiculous nonsense. Like, I don't think anybody took seriously when he said, Line 3 is open to time travelers <laughs> only, you know? Exactly. <laughs> that, you know, only time, uh, time travelers on East of the Rockies. <laughs> <laughs> West of the Rockies, you're on. Yeah, Wait, you're calling right, from I East just, of the Rockies? Click. I just came down out of that UFO and, you know. And you got it, those people. You can't take a lot of that stuff serious, but you know it's it it was entertaining at the least it kept your attention and you know it broke up some of the monotony because let's face it a lot of the stuff that we get into and talk about could be pretty depressing at times so it's good to get a chuckle here and there and that's why we like to talk about david wilcock isn't it jason
0: well yeah because he's a fraudster that takes (laughs) himself too seriously it's like the stuff you say is so obviously nonsense and you've got people treating you like a rock star it's like hey man When you start talking to people like us, we're not buying it, dude. And we're going to call you out for it. I mean, do what you want to do, but we know what you are.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and the Sphere Being Alliance might get mad at us for saying so, but, you know, there ain't no blue chicken people. (laughs) Sorry.
0: (laughs) Kentucky Fried Avians.
1: (laughs) So I I don't know, but I I digress. But, uh, you know, I just think you need to. Have a little bit of a lighthearted spirit uh, to get through a lot of this stuff because there's a lot of really dark stuff that we do wind up looking at at times. So it's good to keep a little bit of levity in there with everything too. But uh, obvious fraudsters, yeah, it's it's fine to call them out, but uh, you know that's that's the other thing. Even though he's he's a blatant fraudster, he's put out a lot of good material. I got to say, David Wilcock. Well, it's because he takes it out, from uh, real
0: sources and then he he stirs it all up in a pot with right. with cuckoo crap.
1: Right. And that's the thing. And that's that's another method that a lot of uh, uh, people that that do disinformation on purpose use is they'll put out, uh, like, say, oh, I don't know, about uh, 90 percent good information and then 10 percent total BS to totally discredit everything that they're saying. And that that's a dangerous thing, too. And that's why you need to have some discernment. That's why I say it doesn't hurt to listen to everybody. Listen to what they have to say but don't but give him money. Learn how to right and learn how <laughs> don't to Don't give David money, please. Yeah, please <laughs> stop don't encouraging him. him. About money. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't, I, I can't even tell people that if you want to give the guy money, give him money. If you find h- anything he does that has value or think he's entertaining or something, go ahead, write the guy a check. That's not my business. <laughs> if you think it's money well spent, go for it. I, for one, don't think it would be money well spent. So I would not put a dime towards that, but, uh, You know, it's, it's, it's a free society or supposedly so. So if you would like to go ahead and support somebody like that, that's your business. If you find value in it and it's not to say that some of the stuff he puts out doesn't have value. Some of it does, uh, you know, it's just a matter of do you believe the whole embellishment and story that he's putting on top of it or not? That's the stuff you have to look at and be able to use discernment to figure out.
0: Exactly. Uh, we're being asked if we know who Russell Brand is, an English truther, quote unquote, that has ties to the Rothschilds, which automatically discredits him. However, he has two million followers on YouTube, only two million. I mean, this is a guy who is in tons of uh, mainstream movies and he's a comedian and all that. Yeah, of course, I know who he is. He, he's done the rounds on Alex Jones and all that. I mean, I don't give a hoot about this guy. He's, he's a very public figure. And if you're allowed to be that public where you're actually on a ton of mainstream stuff.
1: I don't know, now, man. Let's, let's use a crowism here, okay? Let's look at it with with a crowism. He has actor on his resume.
0: There you so go. So
1: that should tell you something right off the top there. That should give you an indication as to what he's about. So.
0: Right. So uh, to tie up the first episode, as we said, there's so much just even in that first episode. And by the way, I probably should have stated if, if anybody wasn't aware, this stuff is easily available. The, the entire Mystery Babylon series is available on YouTube and, and other places for download. I see people have it on SoundCloud. I, I did a check just to make sure, and it's all over the place. Thank goodness. So if you want to listen to any of it, the link that I put uh, under this live stream episode is somebody cut out all of the uh, the ex- excess music and things like that, or the majority of it, I think, plus any of this, the references that Bill was making to meetings and things that were going on way back when in the 90s. He cut that out so that you can just listen to the meat and potatoes of it all. So if you want to check out this series, and I cannot I recommend this stuff enough. I've been through this series I don't know how many times, and I'm always finding stuff because there's just so much to it. But to finish up just with that first episode, since time's ticking by here, The implication that the most intelligent of the early humans are the ones who survived, and the lesser intelligent died off. This continues on in the second episode with more hypothesized scenarios. And the idea being proposed, I think, is that the smartest, and this makes sense, the smartest came to be in control and, of course, be above all the others. And this is where you start seeing the pyramids being formed. And I don't mean the literal pyramids, but just like the pyramid schemes like... Though they're on top and then they have some other people under them and they've got some other people under them. And after you're talking about goodness knows how much time, uh, they've separated themselves so far from the commoners that you just don't know what's going on.
1: Right. It's the creation of a hierarchy. And that's that's a key part uh, of how our society works even today. It's a a hierarchical society that we live in, like it or not. And that's just the way that it is. And that's the way it's always been. Uh, so this is what uh, a lot of these early peoples did, is they helped to set up this societal hierarchy. And, you know, this equates to caste systems and different things of that sort as well. So, like, even if you're looking at modern society, we have upper class, middle class, lower class, okay? I'm just talking the Western world here. This is just one example of how the hierarchy works. And and this is where you go. I mean, you have your upper class. Uh, these are the people that... Uh, kind of push and enforce the policies. Your middle class, we're we're the ones that pay for the most of it. And your lower class are the ones that are the exploited workers for the most part. And that's kind of, you know, a basic look at how Western society works at this point. Now above this upper class, there's the uh, quote unquote governing class. And these are the ones that set policy and uh, exert power. So, this this is kind of how it works. I mean, you have it's it's kind of like a caste system, and this is an allegory for how societies have worked throughout all the generations. But this is what these early people uh, who were involved in these secret societies learned early on is how to create this, and they did so by utilizing uh, things that they've discovered that other people didn't know how to use, uh, the use of technologies in particular, and they used secrecy to control these and to control the caste system just directly underneath them so that's how this works and that's why our society works the way it does you could even look at uh, common business practices you have your CEO and then you have two or three officers that answer to the CEO and then under them you have uh, upper level management and middle level management and lower management and then you know your your workers underneath These structures all work the same way. And this is a lot of what uh, the early teachings of these first priest kings were, is how to control the masses. This is what they worked on. These were the secrets that they shared. And they did this by using knowledge, secret knowledge, and withholding it from people. Like they found out how to use something that the other people had no idea how to use. And in doing so, they, they dangled this carrot over the, the class below them's head and they wound up working the society that way. It's 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 all like an angle. It's like a mob mentality. It's like the mafia. <laughs> when you look at it from that
0: perspective. No, no, it is. It absolutely is. Uh, I wanna this is ta- how things have worked. Let me take a moment to address something since I see a bunch of people going off about it. Uh, I personally do not believe that Alex Jones is Bill Hicks or Bill Hicks is Alex Jones, whichever way you want to look at it. I know that there's (laughs) a lot of uh, there are a lot of similarities between them, but you got to think back. And I'm going to I'm going to tell you my my logic here. Yeah, they look alike, but they don't look that much alike. If you really look at them, they're both from a similar area. So that does happen. I've seen plenty of people who look like other people. So that that's that in and of itself isn't going to sell me. But you got to think back to the early late 80s, early 90s, when both these cats were doing their thing, or especially Alex early on, because it's not like today where you can do like literally sit in my bedroom with a decent internet connection, and I'm speaking to how many people, I don't even know. You couldn't do that in the early 90s. So when you start thinking about like a multimedia kind of thing, they were sort of running in the same circles. So the fact that they both knew Kevin Booth, who was trying to get into the multimedia kind of thing... Back in a time when the technology kind of sucked compared to today, it doesn't surprise me at all that they're from a similar area that w- would have been a small niche thing in in society or whatever you want to call it. Like, you, you know what I'm getting at here? Like they would but they would have been bumping into each other in the same kinds of things that to me, the fact that they both know Kevin Booth doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, sure. It's a little coincidental, but it's not so much of a coincidence. I'm like, Oh my God, this stand-up comedian who was really awesome is actually this loud mouth, annoying person named Alex. I don't buy yeah, it. How about you? Wayne? I, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if I ever asked you that. or What do you think?
1: No, I don't buy that either. Uh, if you look back the way the timeline and stuff works, uh, Alex Jones, he was doing his thing at the same time that Bill Hicks was actually doing comedy. And, uh, the, the stuff never seemed to jive or overlap. I think people would have noticed. Uh, <laughs> hey, Bill Hicks is on this, uh, this talk TV thing doing this conspiracy theory, theory stuff uh, people would have noticed that it, it's, it's two different individuals. I mean, there are similarities. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of these, these different, uh, different researchers and stuff, they could put two and two together and try and make it jive. Oh, they had this common uh, sort of person in in common or whatever this the same friend or whatever, but it it just I've never seen anything to really validate any of it. I don't think there's anything to it
0: No, And you know what? I'm going to play devil's advocate here, too, though, even to my own statement. Would it surprise me in the least if I found out that he was? Nope, because no, not at all. <laughs> how, how much crazy crap have we come across for years and years and years now? I mean, oh, it came out tomorrow that they are the same person. Oh, well, I just shrug my shoulders and be like, well, there you go nothing surprises me anymore i mean just life is crazy and it is what it is
1: that's for sure no uh, it wouldn't surprise me in the least either but uh, i really don't see a there there so you know it's just one of those things
0: and i see a bunch of guys going on about owen i like owen i've met him hung out with him a little bit uh he seems to have come really far in a short amount of time he definitely didn't come out of nowhere i've asked people Who have watched his stuff longer and apparently he wasn't always the way he is now Uh, not to brag but I'm pretty sure he got his super knowledge jolt because he binged every Crow 777 episode and if you do the getting close to 200 episodes in a very short amount of time you're going to learn a whole hell of a lot just like with this Mystery Babylon series and I don't know if I've ever told Owen about this but uh, I know Crow actually talks to him a little more than uh, I do Maybe send this to him next and be like, hey, you want to learn some more stuff? <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> but I like Owen. And if I'm wrong about him, I'm wrong about him. But he's never been anything but very, very polite, extremely respectful to me. And I just think he's a, he's a cool dude who, uh, from all, not saying that this is absolute, what I from what I know and understand, he was in the entire entertainment business. He started speaking out little by little about things he didn't like. And I, I could, if I'm wrong about any of this, any of these facts, by all means, correct me, because I'm not the expert on the guy. But he, he spoke out just a little too much. And they basically yanked the rug out from, over, from under him and said, screw you, dude, you got to play the game or you don't ride the pony. And that was that. And however, that transition to him being in Washington, being a homesteader, uh, raising children and stuff like that. I, I think that's awesome. You know, I know he, he has like a goat farm and it raises his own food. More power to him. I the guy's never been anything but cool to me, and I give everyone a fair shake until I have a reason not to. And usually it's because you've done something to me to give me a very direct reason. So unless I find out that Owen's doing terrible things, but I don't see any him doing anything bad. So th- that's that.
1: Yeah, I really don't have much to weigh in on the subject. I I was never familiar with uh, Owen Benjamin's work at all until, uh, you know, just speaking to you guys until he was contacting uh, you and crow and i i had really not known much about him didn't have any idea who he was uh, i still haven't really checked out much of his earlier stuff uh, i just know from listening to the couple of interviews and stuff he's done with uh, you and crow and that kind of stuff he seems to me like you know he's legit enough uh, i i really haven't found anything that raised a red flag for me with him. so it's not something i'm overly concerned with just because the guy happens to have a little bit of a following uh there's nothing wrong with that
0: well that's translated over this is the thing wayne and to everybody who's who's slamming him you got to realize that this guy was pretty big in the entertainment industry so he's transferred that i don't know how big he was because i never really looked at any of his body at the body of his work but He's got a couple of hundred thousand people that I, if I understand correctly, that follow him regularly, which is very significant. And if anybody is saying or doing crazy things, let me assure you that when you start getting known, even just like the little notoriety I have now from doing Crow Triple Seven and putting out a film and doing small things like that, we get crazy people that say and do crazy dumb things. So I can only imagine what Owen must get, especially since he's coming from a mainstream background where there's probably even more crazy people just ran, just random, God only knows. I mean, he was doing stand-up comedy for years. And man, I just, I'm giving him a fair shake because he hasn't given me any reason not to. If I see any red flags, I mean, you guys know how I am and then how Wayne is and how Crow is. If we see red flags, we say, hey, something doesn't seem right here. This doesn't seem right. But as of right now, Owen seems like a, a pretty decent guy to me. Uh, I hope maybe I call him an associate now. Maybe someday I'll be able to call him my friend because he seems like a nice guy. But anyway, I don't want to really go on anymore about that. Let's move on to the Son of God, understanding the religion of Mystery Babylon and its codification in Egypt. And that is spelled S-U-N, not S-O-N, because obviously those can have the same meaning, but they, of course, also have different meanings. Um, Moving on with what Bill said to open this episode... Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we begin the origin, the history, the dogma, and the identity of the ancient mystery religions, which are now known as the mystery schools. The Order of the Quest, Freemasonry, the Ancient Order of the Rosen Cross, the Knights Templar, the Sovereign and Military Order of the Knights of Malta, the the Order of St. John of Jerusalem, the Priory de Sion, the Thule Society, or sometimes known as the Thule Society, the Order, the Skull and Bones, The Russell Trust, The Jason Society, The Scroll and Key, The Illuminati, and I could go on and on and on and on. And indeed, Bill, you could have because I've heard of all those organizations, as I'm sure you have, Wayne, and there's more to go with that. But the most important thing to realize is that they all have been collectively known throughout the ages as the mystery schools. The Illuminati, which literally means illuminated ones. International socialism, communism, they are all one and the same, as you will come to know, and you will understand perfectly how they've been able to infiltrate all of our society. And this is the little uh, aside that he always put in, or not maybe not always, but into a lot of the episodes. What you hear tonight does not necessarily reflect my views or beliefs or religion, nor those of WWCR, which is the radio station he broadcast through. So there you have it. That's the bringing in of these concepts from whatever happened in early man. And of course, we don't know what truly happened, as we said, but the mystery schools sprang up. And I think that really backs up what I said earlier, that it seems to be a protecting of information. And you know, here's a really good example that I actually meant to say earlier before we went off on the tangents. Think about this in in an early mankind society. What if a priest or a group of priests had astronomical data. They knew things about astronomy, like when an eclipse would be. And they used that to predict when the sun might be swallowed by a snake. And you have to do X. You have to do this and this and this to get it back out again, for us, of course. Or the snake won't spit out the sun and you will be in darkness. How about that for a concept for you, just as an example of how to use very basic knowledge to the advantage of... uh, an elite few over the profane, Wayne.
1: Absolutely, and uh, that is kind of a, a good example of how they utilize some of these concepts and stuff against us. That's that's a perfect example. I mean, that's that's a great allegory to use. Uh, I can't believe we've gone on a whole hour already and only got to episode two now. So <laughs> that's, that's something. We could probably spend weeks and weeks on this stuff if we we really had the interest in it. But uh, Well, I do. As to- a matter
0: of fact, I thought about that when I was just pulling some things here for notes. There's 40-some-odd episodes. We'll probably do this from time to time just because there's so much to talk about here. We could do it in little chunks. And right now we're just laying down the foundations of the sun and the sun and – where a lot of the symbolism that you see everywhere where it comes from, because this is real basic stuff that a lot of people do know, but a lot of people don't know. And you really do need to understand it if you're trying to get a very good education in, in understanding who the elite are, but sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off.
1: Okay. Well, uh, let's, let's break it down into, uh, like a, a nutshell, like a, a basic overview of what is a lot of this stuff. Like this is all stuff that the secret societies and all are based upon. Uh, Freemasonry is the best example because it's the most well-known uh, for the people these days. So let's let's look at Freemasonry. Basically, Freemasonry could be traced back to these ancient mystery schools, which were largely solar phallic cults when it comes down to it. They, uh, they worshipped the sun. Uh, they didn't literally worship the sun, though, and that's what people kind of misconstrue and misunderstand. They worship
0: light. That's what they seek. They seek light.
1: Precisely. And uh, they also have an infatuation with their penises. And that's what this whole Masonic apron thing is all about. That's why they have an apron. It's covering their holy of holies. That's what that is. it's, it's all has to do The penis of with, Osiris? Right. It all has <laughs> to do with the, the sex force, the generative force, uh, you know, the, the male generative force. That's what Masonry is about. Um, and uh, the sun as a symbol of osiris and uh, it all ties back once again to this whole egyptian thing and cooper goes into this largely in the first couple episodes of of how this all ties to egypt and it's as i said earlier this is because the mysteries found their perfection through the egyptian system and you know it was much easier to explain these concepts and describe them in an allegorical manner using the Egyptian stories and mythologies. And this all has to do with something called the Osirian cycle. And this is the myth of Isis, Osiris, and Horus. And that's what a lot of this stuff draws heavily from. And this is where masonry draws heavily from as well. Heavily from. Excuse me. I'm having trouble talking today for some reason. <laughs> you and
0: me both, apparently.
1: But uh, yeah, so anyway, that's, that's what it is in a nutshell. If you look at it and understand that most of the symbology that they use is all either solar or phallic in nature, um, then you begin to see through a lot of the facade that's put forward. Because a lot of it is just there for purposes of being just flagrantly uh, disingenuous for the most part. Uh, A lot of it's to keep the uh, profane from really understanding what's going on and what's being conveyed through these symbols. So when you understand the basics behind it, you could look at these different symbols and stuff and understand a little something more about it as to what the core value that it's talking about is. More so than than being caught on this sidetrack tangent and being caught up in the mystery and not understanding the mystery and that's, that's one of the whole key things as to why these mystery schools flourished as they did, because the outsiders, or the profane as they call us, had no understanding of the secret information that was being imparted to the uh, quote-unquote initiates or adepts uh, with the use of the symbolism and the symbology. And there's a whole science devoted to symbology. Uh, this is something that's a communication form, even up to this day, that a lot of Uh, the elites within the power structure use to convey meanings and stuff to each other that the the public at large are completely ignorant of. They have no idea. Uh, They put things out there flagrantly, out in full view of the public, and people still don't see it. So once you learn to kind of pick up on a lot of these different symbols and what their meanings and stuff are, you begin to see the world in a whole new way once you understand this secret language of symbology that they communicate to each other
0: with. So we have the concepts of sun worship, which is S-U-N, light, which... <laughs> these things are not always what they appear to be. And a risen savior, the S- the sun in the sky that is your risen savior, rises every day. God's sun, S-U-N, gave up its life for us to live. And this is where you get into the whole astrotheological concepts where a lot of folks say that the basis for Christianity is astrotheology. And to a point, that's true. Now... I'm not going to insult anybody if they accept that these are also historical events to one degree or another. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the mystery Babylon religion and how the elites perceive things. So they did not actually worship the sun. They worship light. And that is what they seek. If A Freemason, if you can get them to actually speak to you about any of this stuff, you'll say, do you seek the light? And they'll say yes. And they travel from east to west. Why is that? Because that's the path of the sun. But it, again, they're not worshiping the sun. It's not a religion as such in that, kind. Con- especially in Freemasonry. It's not necessarily a religion. It's almost a philosophy of sorts. But again, you're only shown little bits of things as you're rising through the ranks. And it, 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 there's just so much to this stuff. And, and from what I understand, you don't actually find out a bloody thing until you reach the 30th degree. And of course, and we're going to get to this in a moment, but... Everything below that is just kind of like doing your due diligence and you know, paying, paying your money and, and doing your community service and just looking like a good little Freemason.
1: Right, and just to kind of clarify a little bit of what we're talking about. When we're, we say the Masons, they worship light or they seek light. Well, let's define what light is. Light, the intellect, the human intellect. This is a totally secular humanist type of a, a thing going on they seek they they believe and they fervently believe and a lot of this is luciferian in nature as well and tied to a lot of the luciferian teachings they firmly believe that through the use of their intellect they could become god they don't necessarily believe in a god or a creator at all they but they believe that through the use of their intellect they could eventually become god And this is the core to Luciferian teaching, and this is the core to the uh, belief systems held up by most of the mystery schools. Now, are there uh, variations within this? Yes, there are. There are. But uh, for the most part, the ones that are uh, at the top of the power structure, the quote-unquote elites, if you will, the philosophy they believe in is this Luciferian philosophy. They believe that through the use of intellect that they can become God. And that's what they're seeking. And that's how all this ties into transhumanism. I know I seem to be... I sound like a broken record. I talk about it all the time. <laughs> but this is really what's going on, people. This is the big deal. This is the big thing. This is what it's about. They think they could become God. It has ancient roots back in the mystery schools. It's all about the intellect. They believe they could use their intellect to become God. And that's what they're seeking to do by using technology to do so. And by... uh keeping secrets about this technology from the masses so that they could control everything. That's what it's about.
0: And and why do they think that? Well, we'll go back to the, how we began this. It's because they feel that they are from the earliest man, the earliest of men, that were the first of the intellects, the, the ones that figured it out first, that feel they were the first that were enlightened, and they built their mystery schools around that. So think about however much time has passed, we don't know, probably thousands of years, but who knows exactly, until now, and that these concepts have been handed down generation after generation. Why do they keep going through these mystery schools, these secret societies? Why do they do these things? Well, it's because they're handing this information to the people that they feel are deserving. If you are, you are either one of them or you are nothing, that means you're the profane, you're ignorant, you know nothing, you, don't, you are not in the light.
1: Right. And just as an aside, uh, some of these uh, different uh, mystery school philosophies (laughs) teach that uh, if you're not an initiate of one of these mystery schools, you don't even have a soul. And that's why they they view you as an animal to be used like cattle.
0: Yeah,
1: right. That's another aspect of it. And and that's just something people need to be aware of. So uh, when they say, if you're not one of us, you're nothing, they mean it. They, they look at you as being a lower animal. You're cattle. You're a human resource, to use a more modern term on it. Where do you think that term came from? Words have meaning. Human resource. You're a resource. That's how they think of you if you're not one of them. Absolutely. And. That doesn't say that every mason that ever becomes a mason or anything is of this mindset or even has the first clue about this because the vast majority of them don't. There's only a very, very small percentage at the top of the the structure of these secret societies that even have any clue about a lot of this stuff. But we've been fortunate enough in the Internet age and with people doing groundbreaking work like William Cooper did – that we have a better understanding of this stuff now. This information is out there. It's leaked out there for us to see. Now, don't get me wrong. You don't come across this information just by your standard, uh, you know, looking at a YouTube video. or the Washington Post.
0: Or, or, <laughs> right,
1: or, or just <laughs> through a standard read-through through something or listening to, uh, you know, some conspiracy guy or something like that. Uh, this is something that takes years and years of actually deep diving and deep digging into to begin to understand the nuts and bolts of it. So this, this is, you know, how we could understand, like a lot of this stuff is going on. Uh, I could tell you through years and years of deep research that, uh, a lot of what Cooper has said I've found to be true. Mm-hmm. I've looked at a lot of the resources and stuff that he's, he's cited and, you know, I, I could see you know, he's not just pulling stuff out of context here or, you know, twisting it this way or that. What he's saying, this is their actual words. This is what they're saying. This is what they believe. And the things that he said have kind of lined up and and shown to be true. And, uh, you know, he, he did a lot of groundbreaking work with this stuff. And I've since, you know, followed down different paths and stuff from, you know, some of the things that he said. And, you know, I found some error in some of his thinking with things and a lot of his early work with the whole UFO field and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, you could poke holes in that stuff all day long. But uh, when it comes down to it, the, the real true value is in this esoteric work he put out there. And that's that's why we go on about it. You could it's like a Ph.D. if you listen to that whole mystery Babylon series that he did. You could get a PhD in occult knowledge just by listening to all 40-some hours of that and actually doing the groundwork and, and following up on it. See, because that's the thing. One of his things that he told people when he would do one of these broadcasts is get your pen and paper handy and yep. take
0: notes. This Always is, he have a people, pencil and paper when you listen to this show.
1: <laughs> right, because he wanted people to look into this stuff for themselves, and you're doing yourself a disservice, even if you're listening to the two of us and not checking up on anything we're saying, go look for yourself. you might be shocked at what you find. I tell people that all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't expect anybody to believe a word I say just because I'm saying it. I mean who the hell am I? I'm a nobody, but uh i I've put in the groundwork to see that there's really something to this stuff, and I invite anybody go look for yourself. I'm not making this stuff up like. I have no reason to. I have no incentive to. I just want people to understand where we're at. We're at a crossroads in Mm. society and civilization right now. And we need to make the right choices and by and large people are standing back and letting other people make the choices for them and it's not a good position to be in so that's why i do what i do
0: yeah well we're being drowned in distractions right now and it's just every year that goes by it's just more and more and more that's what a lot of these technological devices are are, are doing i mean they're, they're sucking you in and man what are you getting out of it i mean you're being distracted. Now I use them a lot for exactly what we're doing here. I mean, I, I do live streams. I record Crow triple seven and, and edit it. I do use this technology for all that kind of stuff, but do I occasionally do mindless things like watch Rick and Morty? Yes, I do. <laughs> I admit it because it's funny. And there's also a lot of stuff written in there that kind of pokes us in the eye. And that that's a lot of things. A lot of what I do look at just in case anyone wonders now, I don't watch a lot. I don't watch mainstream television. I don't even uh, have a subscription to anything mainstream, as far as, like, cable or any of that crap, but and I don't watch <laughs> mainstream news because I know what that is. Uh, once they the, redid the Smith-Munt Act a few years ago, we're legally allowed to be propagandized against. That means anything that is broadcast at you from a quote-unquote mainstream source, it, it could be anything. It could be the truth, but it doesn't have to be. And, that's the, and that is the truth. Go look it up. Go look up the Smith-Munt Act and then the, the revision. I forget what year it was. It, it was during Obama's run. But they made it so that you can be propagandized against, meaning they can bullshit you, us, anytime right. they want. Just and it's perfectly up. legal.
1: Right, just to back up what you're saying, I think it was 2012, if I remember correctly. That sounds right. That they did this. Yeah, that sounds right. And uh, it's, it gives them carte blanche the the right to lie to you, to just blatantly lie to you, and tell you untruths to try to convince you of some kind of a political narrative. And... They do it legally, and they do it knowingly, and it's acknowledged that they do it. So if you're believing anything that the mainstream news is pushing at you, you do so at your own risk because they they have no reason to tell you anything true, none whatsoever. In fact, they have carte blanche ability to lie to you to push whatever agenda or narrative that they want. And don't we see that all the time now? Like, they're always constantly pushing this next big fear event. And right now, the big thing all over the news is this whole impeachment nonsense, which is basically political theater, and it will amount to nothing. But they want everybody to be all upset and up in arms and fighting over this. They want the Republicans to be, how dare you impeach the orange man? And they want (laughs) the Democrats to be like, we need to get rid of the orange man. And they want everybody fighting over it. And in the meantime...
0: Oh, but they Lord no, only
1: knows what in the world they're passing in Congress right now. But they folks. had no problem That's coming together. Exactly,
0: at. they had no problem coming together to extend the Patriot Act for a few more months. Did they? Yep. Oh, all nope, of a sudden the partisan doesn't matter anymore. No. And the guy and they just impeached, they just handed another three months of super surveillance to. So that, t- there you go, guys. That that I didn't even know we were going to go there, but that tells you how much <laughs> this is real and how much is bullshit. Okay. I mean, they Absolutely. they had no problem passing this together to make sure that the superpowers that they have to legally do whatever the hell they want to us are still in place. So there you go. We don't even need to say anything else. These people are freaking actors, man. But uh, let's not forget the, the point here before we move on that the elite feel that Christianity, like, like the modern Christianity, is a perversion of the mysteries. And if you look back in time, even back to the uh, to the Roman days... Christianity actually started as a cult, an underground cult. At least this is what mainstream history tells us. And it was revised as time went on. So theoretically, it could have even come from the mysteries because things changed with Christianity as the the centuries wore on. As a matter of fact, uh, mainstream history tells us that the divinity of Jesus wasn't even decided upon until 325 AD. And of course, we're talking about the uh, Roman Catholic Church here, which by that point had already solidified its power.
1: Right. And you're talking specifically about the Council of Nicaea. Yes. So, uh, you know, I mean, you're talking, there's a good bit of uh, historical background there that uh, doesn't line up with Christian doctrine, per se. Like the the teachings of Christ and much of what we're taught uh, about Christianity, they don't line up. They don't really jive together. And uh, I'm I'm doing some extensive writing about this in my new book because... uh, What I'm examining, I'm examining how the control system has been set up. Uh, My new book is going to be called Cybernetic Messiah, Building the Antichrist System. And it goes way back to the very beginning, the foundations of this Antichrist system. So, uh, you know, I'm going to be tearing a lot of this stuff down to its roots and its core values. And I should be able to show that uh, in the very beginning Uh, stories of the book of genesis uh, a lot of the foundations for this whole antichrist system and the rise of this uh, technocratic system that's coming have been laid way back then and how uh, mainly the the catholic church or the uh, vatican has been one of the big foundation layers that have put this whole thing together so uh you know it's it's an interesting study and an interesting thing to look at and and you know I plan on on getting from there to here to where we are today uh, within the course of the book because I like to look at things you know from a time scale type of a of a thing I like to do things kind of on a timeline and introduce to people okay this is where the foundation was laid this is how it progressed and moved forward and this is how we got to where we are today because I think people take a lot of value from that kind of a, an overview of things. So I, I do plan on tearing that down more. And a lot of this stuff we're talking about tonight uh, with this whole Mystery Babylon series has a lot to do with that. And that's where a lot of ideas and stuff have come from, is directly from this work that Cooper put out. So,
0: right. so moving on with this, let's talk about the concepts of light versus dark. The dark, meaning literally the darkness, is evil. The priests of the mystery religion always follow the light and they look to the east. They look to the sun, S-U-N, or soul, S-O-L, but not the sun, S-O-N. This is where you start getting the differentiations in. This also gives rise to the word solace, S-O-L-A-C-E, meaning comfort or consolation in a time of distress or sadness. So again, as we always say, Crow, Wayne, and myself, words have meaning, and you can see how these things intertwine.
1: Oh, absolutely. You could see how they intertwine. Uh, and this all call, falls back on the archetypal idea of darkness and light. Now, darkness was the original enemy of mankind, because be- before we had the advent of fire or light uh, at the nighttime, we were helpless, pretty much. We were cold and scared and afraid, and we unable to see, unable to see. And that, that's another key right there, unable to see. Mm. But uh, we were open for predation from uh, predators. And that's kind of where this archetypal idea comes from, where the darkness is evil or it's the original enemy of man. And this is where uh, these elitists from the mystery schools come in because they discovered how to use fire. Fire is an allegory for light, which is also an allegory for intellect. And they call themselves the philosophers of fire. So this this is telling right there. They see the intellect as the big thing. This is their God. This is what they want. They believe they can become God with their intellect. And that's what they teach. And that's at the core of a lot of these uh, mystery school teachings is that man can become God by using his intelligence to do so.
0: And, of course, this ties in even with the story of Prometheus, where you're saying about uh, the the fire relation. That's why that story gets intertwined with it and why sometimes Prometheus is interchangeable with the concept of Lucifer. Lucifer meaning the light bringer or the light bearer. if you know the story of Prometheus, he did indeed bring fire or light to mankind because he felt sorry for them.
1: Right, and this is also... Uh, This archetype of Prometheus or Lucifer is also interchangeable with Mercury. And that's the mind principle. The same thing, intellect, mind, fire, Prometheus, Mercury, Lucifer, all the same basic archetypal idea. Okay, these are just different names for the concept. And that's the thing, when you take a step back. Uh, from these religious ideas or these belief systems and look at them from a more philosophical standpoint Or just as the idea of a concept you get whole different values out of these stories Okay, and that's the thing that uh, the mystery schools has as by and large taught to their initiates more so than uh, Those of us that they call the profane they want us thinking in purely religious terms whereas they think in more philosophical terms. And uh, a lot of uh, intelligent people through the years have said things such as, uh, religion without philosophy is a dead thing. And I find that to be true. I mean, you have to have philosophy and religion together to really get to the value of the teachings. And it's the same thing could be said with these different mythologies and stuff, too. These are archetypal stories that are there to tell us something, to give us some kind of a real value. And if you look at it from a purely religious standpoint, you're saying, oh, Zeus, it's the ancient gods and blah, blah, blah. It's all nonsense. <laughs> or if you look at it from a philosophical standpoint, you're saying, well, you know, these these guys, uh, you know, they came up with all these, these great uh, poetic writings and all of this stuff, and they were, they were intelligent and classy, and they Game up with the whole ideas of civilization, but you're missing the boat. See, that's the thing. When you look at it with a religious viewpoint or a philosophical viewpoint, you're missing the whole picture. You need to have the religious and the philosophical viewpoint in order to get these things right. And uh, largely today, we've replaced both the philosophical and the religious viewpoint of things with what we call science or what we refer to as scientism. And this is the new religion, scientism. And that's what we're looking at today. And that's a lot of the the problem that we have going on today is this cult of scientism has taken over and is being largely pushed in the mainstream. Whereas at the top of the power structure, they're still looking at the religious and philosophical concerns in addition to the scientific ones. So they're seeing the whole picture, whereas we're fed just a very small picture.
0: Frank Jackson, thank you for the $1.99 super chat. And he says... When I was a kid, I said no to Globe. Uh, You know, I'm starting to wonder if that's going to be happening more and more. The Flat Earth movement is, of course, growing. And uh, if I understand correctly, in Brazil, it's like a huge percentage now, which equates out to millions of people. So I don't subscribe to any group. I, I, I know Wayne and Crow also have that notion. But the beautiful thing here is, of course, to challenge everything. And if you have things coming from known liars, well, take that as you will, right?
1: Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, you can't really take what NASA says as truth. I mean, they've they've shown time and again they're willing to lie to you and show you fraudulent things outright. So it, it's one of those things where, where do you believe the known liar? Is he really telling you the truth this time? You're really taking a step out on a limb if you're thinking that somebody that's a known, repeated liar is going to step out and tell you the truth this one time. Just, Just come because, back to me,
0: baby. I won't hit you anymore.
1: Yeah, pretty much. It's the same kind of thing. So it, it it's one of those things. Do you do you believe the model that they put out? I don't know. I see massive inconsistencies with it. I know we've had this discussion before. Oh sure. Yeah. Uh I can find inconsistencies with the whole flat earth argument though, too. But that doesn't give us a new map. Crow says it all the time. That doesn't give exactly. us a new map.
0: Yeah question it That's but don't problem. but don't don't replace and and, I, and I'm not meaning this to insult anyone but don't use flat earth as a as a religious replacement too like don't be so religious about it, it meaning don't be so stuck on on the concepts because even that has a bunch of variations keep challenging everything yes but the problem is none of us have the money to go hop in a rocket and see what's what's real so we don't know what the model is so that that whole statement of that doesn't give us a new map it's a blanket statement meaning yes challenge things and understand that there are inconsistencies all over the place, but it doesn't tell us exactly what reality is. It just proves that what we're being told from the mainstream point of view has a lot of holes in it. And I, I this is what I tell everybody. Are you one of those stupid flat earthers? No, I see inconsistencies. I want more data. As a matter of fact, I've already started taking it upon myself to go down eight miles down the road to the pier on Lake Pontchartrain and start shooting across to New Orleans with my p 1000 because I want to get the math done as well as I can and figure out, am I seeing too far? And I know this is what Crow always leans on. You can see too far. So I want my own information that I can then share with everybody. And I'll start sharing these videos. I just I had to buy a better tripod. That was my first problem. I realized I had to have something super stable to put it uh, on the pier. And as I'm panning across, it was too shaky. And I wasn't going to put that online. That's, that's way too janky. So... I got a good uh, tripod now for my P1000 because believe me, when you super zoom like that, the, the tiniest of movements translates to, you know, shaking all over the place. So anyway, I didn't want, didn't mean to get off on a tangent on that.
1: Yeah. But anyway, it's, it's one of those things it's, it's worth tangenting about because it's, 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 a, it's a huge, yeah, it's a huge contention right now in a lot of the truth community. And, uh, I know you and I had sat down and, and tried to do some preliminary numbers on some of your camera work, Jason, and you know we found that it looks on the face of it, from the general values that we had, those first values we came across, looks like you're able to see too far across across Lake Pontchartrain. Yeah, if we the Super were doing is what we correctly. were
0: using. We we, we took right. we did rough math for what curvature is supposed to be, and I could see what I what I was pretty certain was the Superdome. And that's down right next to the French Quarter area. And I know where that is. I know New Orleans pretty well now. And I, I don't know. I, w- I want to do it better. I want to do it on a super clear day. That's that's one of the problems with New Orleans and, and like the Louisiana area is uh, it's very humid here. So quite frequently, the atmospheric disturbances can be pretty, pretty bad. So a lot of stuff is fuzzy. So I'm just going to keep trying until I get some really good, hopefully solid data. And I will start sharing that with everyone. And... That's that right. because and, I want my own data,
1: <laughs> right? And that's the thing—the preliminary numbers and stuff we did uh, were based upon, uh, you know, some of your your early work trying to to shoot across the lake there. So, uh, with some of the things going on with the the conditions and stuff like that, people could still kind of poke holes in that. So, until you get something solid where you could say, okay. This is definitely what I have on camera here. It was clear we don't have any of this other stuff going on and this is what the numbers are. And you know, until it's indisputable. Uh, it's not worth putting the data out there. Uh what we what I could say is I, I went through I went through the numbers and stuff with you and it looked to me like you were able to see too far. Right. So and I just pointed based out to upon you. that preliminary view.
0: Right. And I pointed yeah, point out you to you the distance on a map we we went on uh on Google Maps and I said okay I was here and this is where the Superdome is and then we measured it out it was th- uh, what was it thirty three point four miles or something like that and then we just ran it in the the basic calculator and if I can indeed see the Superdome I indeed probably shouldn't have been able to super- see the Superdome hypothetically
1: right but uh, it's one of those things where what you got on camera it wasn't really definitive per se and the conditions weren't exactly right so it, it's one of those things we didn't really do anything precise with it. It was just a preliminary look, and we were both kind of a little taken aback that, you know, it looked like you were able to see too far. So, but it's something that requires more more work to do to really vet out. So let's let's just leave it at that, because I think we're, we're getting off on a tangent a little too much now.
0: Well, we've only got half an hour left, so I want to get to this next Bill Cooper quote. What you are hearing, folks, is for the first time in history, the public revelation of the origin the history, the dogma, and the identity of those who operate in secret to bring about a worldwide totalitarian socialist government. They are known to Christians as Mystery Babylon. It is an ancient religion. Those of you who are smart enough to know what is transpiring here know that these are historic broadcasts, and by making these broadcasts, I have sealed my fate. He said this in 1993, by the way. The sun enters each heavenly sign or house of the Zodiac in what is called the 30th degree and leaves at the 33rd degree. Thus, God's son, S-U-N, is said by the ancients to begin his ministry at 30 and dies at 33. A Freemason is not told the truth of the object of his worship until he attains the 30th degree, and this is why the highest degree in Freemasonry is the 33rd degree, For no one can rise higher than the sun, S-U-N. When viewing the shimmering rays of sunlight on a body of water at dawn or sunset, and remember that word, sunset, one can still see today how God's sun walks on water. So again, we're seeing a lot of uh, symbolism being broken down there. Wayne?
1: Right. And uh, a lot of this stuff, too, uh, people, if they, they have the unction to go look into it a little more, I would highly recommend a book by Jordan Maxwell called That Old Time Religion. Uh, He he goes into a lot of detail on a lot of that stuff in in that book, too. And once again, this is where the words have meaning game comes into play. Because you can see how a lot of these different uh, words and stuff uh, convey different meanings. And, you know, this sounds like that. Even something as simple as sun, S-U-N, compared to sun, S-O-N, Which, uh, I'll be honest, in the beginning when I first started looking into this stuff, I I didn't put a lot of credence into that because I thought, well, these aren't the original languages and stuff this stuff's translating from. So, sun, S-U-N, and sun, S-O-N, in different languages are two completely different words. But uh, once you start doing a little more digging into things and you realize English is a constructed language... That's 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 a conclusion I came to a while back now. English is a constructed language. It, it's one of those things where it's carefully crafted in order to use this wordplay. And it's a weird thing. And I, I'm still trying to delve into the origins of how these languages came about. I'm not a linguist by any stretch of the imagination. But, uh, you know, you start to see correlations between different words and understand that there's you know, subcontext within the word that you could read in a symbolic way. And once again, this ties back to the whole language of symbology. And, and that's the thing. These symbols are hidden within the words. And uh, like the, if you use the word sun, S-O-N, the symbol of the sun, S-U-N, is automatically inherent within that word. And, and see, that's the thing. So you could kind of use those two interchangeably in a way. And still convey the meaning of the sun, S-U-N. And, and that's a way that uh, some of these uh, elitist type uh, secret society members and stuff communicate different meanings is in these type of ways. Whereas the person, the, your average person on a surface read isn't going to pick up on this stuff. But uh, once you begin to understand that these words are, are breaking down to display different symbolic ideas, then you could really start to read things in that you've never seen before. And it's just one of those things, either you through a lot of uh, study and patience and just noticing things, you start to pick up on this or you don't. It's one of those things that it just takes time to start to pick up on these ideas and concepts and and start to see them around you. So, but once you do, I mean, the world looks completely different after that.
0: Oh yeah. And I can definitely agree that English seems to be a uh, constructed concept. That's, I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, but we're we're moving on through the storylines, or well, I guess they could be considered storylines, right? Through the uh, the story allegory here, and Bill starts really breaking into the Egyptian myths and the symbolism. <laughs> and uh, the next thing I'd like to read for you guys is this: the fable of Isis and Osiris, as it has descended to us in the account given by Plutarch. Why is my screen jumping around has not been greatly amplified by any modern research. The Egyptian fragments, which have been translated in recent years, offer no complete account of the birth, life, death and resurrection of Osiris, nor has any new key been found to unlock this great drama, which may well be termed the passion play of Egypt. It is not our intention to perpetuate Plutarch's account merely for its outward appearance, but rather from the same motive that inspired, S- let me see if I can pronounce this correctly. Synesius. Synesius. sorry. I'm not good with these words, names and stuff. Synesius, Platonic philosopher and my screen keeps jumping. Oh my goodness, this needs to stop. And Christian Bishop. And compile his account of the same fabulous history. So, as you hear that the word in secret societies, and and especially in Freemasonry, Freemasonry, thus introduces the Osirian myth. The fable is Egyptian, which we, we know. The Egyptians transcend in wisdom. Perhaps, therefore, this has also been a fable. Obscurely signifies something more than a fable but because it is egyptian if however it is not a fable but a sacred discourse it will deserve in a still greater degree <laughs> degree i love the choice of terms here to be told and committed to writing so this is where things start being solidified and uh, you see the symbolism that was used in the ancient egyptian still being used today and i i kind of briefly touched on this earlier, when you look at places like the Vatican, or Washington, D.C., or Paris, or uh, places in London, what do you see? You you kind of see two things. You see Roman-style structures, and you see Egyptian symbolism used over and over again. You see these a lot in Freemason halls, too. A lot of Freemason halls I've driven by, like the one in uh, Dallas, Texas, (coughs) I've been by, uh, they look very Roman. They look like Roman temples. So, they're Showing you, in a way, they're saying, "Yeah, the, the, you know where we come from. You know who controls things. Why are there obelisks out in front of all these things? Well, they're telling you, man. This is where this stuff comes from. They're saying this is who we are. Because do you have a great desire, any of you, to just put a giant uh, stone penis in your front yard? I don't think so.
1: I don't know. I, I think some people do, do you get the mood sometimes, Wayne. <laughs>
0: This day and age,
1: uh, that sounds like something the LGBTQ crowd would do. (laughs) But anyway, you know, that might have been a tasteless joke, but (laughs) I had to put a little levity into this. But uh, no, absolutely. You see the obelisk everywhere where there's a power center. Uh, The Vatican has one. Washington, D.C. has one. And London City has one. And those are your three big power centers. When it comes down to it. So uh, they also have a reflecting pool in each of those places, too, uh, which is directly in line with the uh, obelisk that's there. And this is by design. And this is a very old symbol of the dot within a circle. So if anybody wants to uh, go ahead and do their own research on that, that'll lead you down a little rabbit trail, too. The dot inside a circle. (laughs) And that's, that's a very important symbol. To the mystery schools and the mystery religion. Oh, go so, ahead and
0: write uh, down that one, dude, because uh, we just saw that one resurrected in the recent Wokemen, I mean Watchmen series. Oh, did we?
1: I, I don't even watch Watchmen, so uh, I, tried know, I watching, had no idea. Well,
0: I've seen the movie. Uh, I started reading the graphic novel because I know that uh, Alan Moore is, is a 30-something uh, Freemason. I don't remember what degree he is, but... Uh, I'm forgetting the character's name. Dr. Manhattan has that as as his symbol, which is... Which oh, is, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the symbol. He goes pss, sh, on his forehead. Uh, that's his symbol. But uh, yeah, they they resurrected Watchmen, uh, I think against Alan Moore's wishes, by the way, because it's it's completely crap. I watched one episode and it was just pfft, uh, absolute woke garbage. Uh, big surprise in 2019, like everything else, Rise of Skywalker. Pfft. But um, <laughs> anyway... <clears throat> Uh, yeah, go ahead and break that down, Wayne. We've got uh, not quite 20 minutes left here.
1: Okay, well, the dot within a circle, it's a very important symbol, and it symbolizes different layers of meaning. Uh, first and foremost, the dot uh, represents the penis, and the circle represents the vagina. Uh, so, I mean, this represents generation and generative force and creation. And it also, in another aspect of the same idea, the, the dot in the middle Represents singularity, and the the circle around the outside represents universality. So it represents everything and nothing, all in one. It it represents duality. There, it, this thing is this is a symbol that uh, has a lot of different layers of meaning. Like I said, and those are just a couple of the, the basic breakdowns of what it uh, represents so super old symbol
0: too like you see that uh, absolutely way back
1: right this is one of those that uh, predates uh, the egyptian era Uh, i know for sure so it's one of those things where it's it's representative of everything and nothing and it represents the male the masculine it represents the feminine it's it's almost like a universal type symbol everything's kind of contrived within it it also represents the ouroboros the, uh, the snake eating its tail the circle does uh, you know there's many different things the point represents the eye uh, you, could, you could see all of these different things if you just take a look at it and think about it logically for a minute all these things are encoded in that one symbol so it, it's an important symbol that uh, you know kind of uh, represents generation to a certain degree represents genesis I should say it represents creation. It represents everything and nothing. So uh, it's it's one of those things where you could read different layers of meaning into it, depending on where it's used and how it's used. And that's another thing. And the, you know the intention that's put into it when it's displayed as a symbol and where it's displayed will uh, convey what meaning that it's supposed to represent in that way. And that that's the other thing that a lot of these mystery schools and stuff do is they use these symbols in different ways in different places Mm -hmm. and uh, representing different ideas at different times that people find confusing because you won't see the same symbol and it necessarily means the same thing every time you see it or the same intentions there and that's what
0: everything comes down to intent just like numerology the number you know whatever number you happen to see oh oh my god no it all comes down to intent everything is about intent
1: precisely and it, it it just takes time and practice and study to be able to look at these things and understand the meaning that's being conveyed and it's not something you pick up overnight that's why you can't just sit down and teach somebody a course okay well here's here's this symbol this is what it means because that's not always what it means there's there's different layers of meaning and that's all part of this whole language of symbology This stuff is constructed in there depending upon where you're at in your own personal journey as to what you'll be able to read in there. And that's how they could encode certain ideas to people at certain different levels of the power structure. Like one person at the lower level will only understand this basic core meaning of it, whereas somebody higher up will see it in this context and realize, oh, okay, I see what they're communicating here. And that's, that's one way where people will miss things that are just blatantly out in the open, but the initiates will pick up on it. Because if you don't know what it means and they do, there you go. And it's one of those things, like I said, it takes practice and study and uh, a little bit of discernment. And once you're able to do that, you can start to see see things completely differently. But uh,
0: oh, Well, that's what Bill even got uh, on about in the very first episode, the dawn of man, where he was saying that 2001 a space odyssey wasn't really made for you. It was a message to other initiates. They knew what they were seeing and what these things represented. I mean, come on a great big uh, black obelisk standing before you. Uh, sure. It looked, it looked cool to other people like, Oh, what does that mean? Blah, blah, blah. But other people knew what that represented, that a monolith that, that is black is representative of uh well, lots of things, really, Saturn's one of them, but <laughs> the whole point was that it, it, it was a symbol to be on the screen of how enlightenment was given. Like, where did the first priests of Mystery Babylon get their information? Well, they, they, they were granted it. They feel that they are the enlightened ones, that they are the superior ones. So this whole movie that's supposed to be about space travel and things like that, it wasn't about... Uh, space travel, and uh, you know, there's something a lot of people don't don't know about 2001: Space Odyssey or or its uh, sequel that was made into a movie, 2010: Odyssey Two. In the book, if you read the book written by Arthur C. Clarke, and it was written at the same time they were writing the script, Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke were working on the script uh, the script slash story together, uh, but Clarke did the book himself. And in the book is something that most people well. I don't want to make a judgment, but a lot of people don't know. And that's – they did not go to Jupiter like they did in the movies. They went to Saturn. They went to Saturn. <laughs> so black go monolith, figure. Saturn, yeah. And uh, they, they even – I remember reading the book a long, long time ago in high school, and there's the the statements that uh, – you know, you, you could mistake it for Jupiter because of its size until you saw the glory of its rings or something to that effect. Uh, I don't remember exactly now. But there you go. You know, they, they didn't put Saturn because uh, I, I think it would just would have been a little too freaking obvious. But uh, the claim was and the, the, the mainstream answer as to why they did that was that they couldn't make the special effects work for Saturn. You know, we're talking about the mid 60s right. here. Uh, the, the the movie took about four years to make, and it was released in 1968. Uh, and yes, this is at the same time Apollo was being solidified, and a bunch of NASA people were indeed working in tandem. This is where the, this big theory comes from, that there was some kind of hokey finokey going on with Kubrick, uh, Arthur C. Clarke, and NASA, regarding the, the moon missions especially. It was because in, in the movie, they did show moon stuff. And how things should look, and you know, I don't know if that's a, a literal thing that Kubrick contributed a little or even a lot to uh, faking Apollo, but there is absolutely no doubt that that did happen. And my only question is, if Arthur C. Clarke wanted them to go to Saturn, but it's supposed to be a joint effort, why didn't he not change it in the book to go to Jupiter? You know, what? Why this claim that they couldn't make the special effects work? Well, they would have known that. I don't know how far ahead of time I mean the post production certainly would have taken in the 1960s they were talking about pre CGI stuff here so it wasn't like they were they had to build practical everything they would have known far in advance it, I mean I could be wrong but that's what I w- I would think so I don't know the whole thing's really fishy but yes in the book they go to Saturn so there's that
1: right and then just kind of to add it add to something you said a little earlier 2001 the movie uh, to your 2001. <laughs> average viewer. Right. It was about space travel, but it was a movie that was not really about space travel, which uh, tells you something else. Space travel isn't really about space travel either, is it?
0: <laughs> well,
1: <laughs> when you look at the Apollo missions, they're loaded with this esoteric Masonic symbology everywhere, right down to the planning, right down to the supposed areas that they landed on the moon or uh, took off from on Earth and Everything the whole the whole thing is loaded. I would recommend uh, if anybody hasn't read it, pick up uh, Richard C. Hoagland's Dark Mission uh, book because that details, even though he goes you know down a lot of nonsensical trails and claims that uh, you know the all this stuff on the that he's pointing out uh, means that there's aliens or something like that, hmm. even though he goes down that road. What he's pointing out about the Masonic symbolism and everything used is absolutely on target, but he's pointing at it saying this is why the Masons encode this stuff everywhere because of aliens putting it out there, whereas it's actually – it's the opposite. This is uh, a fabricated thing uh, that – it's a poke in the eye. Okay? It's the guys on the inside club saying, Look what we did. We've convinced these idiots that we went to the moon and they buy it hook, line, and sinker, even though we're standing there in this photograph with our Masonic aprons and stuff with our astronaut suits on and and like just it's poking fun at the gullibility of the public. That's what it is. It's these initiates saying, You see these profane how stupid they are? That's what it is. That's the biggest thing that really upset me about uh, the whole Apollo program is not only have they lied to us about it, but uh, it's it's an insult to our intelligence. They laugh at you. They laugh at you if you believe it. They laugh at you. Yeah. And people don't seem to understand that. They can't believe that something like that would go on, that this is the way it is. But pick up that book, Dark Mission. From uh, Richard C. Hoagland.
0: Yeah, I have it he, just for he, reference. He has
1: it. He has it outlined in that book thoroughly. Whereas they use these coordinates and stuff all the time. It's an important Masonic number. This and that. This encodes this Masonic ceremony and everything like that. But uh, he's he's looking at it from the perspective of. This is why these guys do this stuff is, you know, because they know about the aliens and the aliens have this, <laughs> this math encoded everywhere. And it's all part of how the universe works. But, uh, nobody, no, it's, it's, it's because, no, nope, it's, it's a ceremony and they're laughing at you. That's what it is. They're definitely so, laughing at him. <laughs> i don't know he might have been you know part of the inside Uh, yeah i mean i'm kind of making making a joke
0: but it is it's very hard to say let me catch up on a few things in the chat room here we're down to eight minutes uh i don't have any t-shirts set up for the secrets of saturn stuff but if people wanted i could easily add that onto the crow store um if anybody's interested let me know uh for emails you can easily reach me at secretsofsaturn at gmail.com wayne do you want to give out your email real quick
1: uh, yeah, people could reach me at alchemicaltechrevolution at gmail.com, or uh, they could contact me through my Facebook page, which is called Files from the Conspiratorium, which is back after is a long back. sabbatical. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they they shut me down for a good six months. Uh, I have no idea why. They wouldn't tell me what I, I posted on there that they found so offensive, but Facebook blocked me out of that page for a good <laughs> six months. Yeah. But it's back now, so...
0: Um, and someone had mentioned earlier about uh, getting Crow on with Dark Journalist. Uh, if anybody wants us to go anywhere, Wayne, me, Crow, all of us together, whatever, if you have contacts with anybody that's a, a show that seems like it would be good for us and you can get us in contact with those people, by all means, let us know. I mean, we're we're willing to go anywhere. Uh, it's always good to, to branch out because you might be reaching new listeners. This is actually why when people started accusing Crow of a bunch of nonsense, like going on coast to coast, stuff like that. Man you got to reach wherever you can. If you want to know if somebody's for real, see if their story changes, unless they're adding information as they go along, which is what Crow has done. But as far as his core beliefs, those have stayed the same, like what he puts out there. Maybe belief is probably the not correct choice to to put out, but his philosophy, the the things he stands behind, just like us. We've been trying our best to uh, put out information and keep learning and, and try and keep doing the positive things we're doing. And man, I'll go just about anywhere, uh, you know, within reason, because you don't know who might be that person on the other end. It's kind of like the Owen Benjamin thing. Owen's been sending tons of people over to Crow Triple Seven Radio. How is that a bad thing? I mean, I'm just saying. Now, we've only got a few minutes left, but the last point I wanted to get to for this breakdown on Mystery Babylon is there's a good bit of discussion on Lucifer and the figure of Jesus Christ possibly being the same being depending upon the view taken and uh, Wayne, you're much more familiar with the Bible than I am. So I'm just going to hand that one to you before you, and I'll watch the time here for us so we can uh, say say goodnight when when the time comes.
1: Okay. Uh, that's actually something that is espoused by some of the secret societies as you get deeper into the learning of these things. Uh, some of them will espouse that uh, Jesus and Lucifer are the same being. It's just two aspects of their personality. One would be, like, say, the the Old Testament and one would represent the new testament uh same kind of thing it's this whole duality principle uh, that they show now other philosophies within the mystery schools say that jesus and lucifer are brothers and that uh, jesus was given his turn to reign um on the earth and he he failed and his turn is up and now it's lucifer's turn to step in and take over That's another philosophy that's thrown about within the mystery schools. And there's a lot of these different types of uh, types of things that are taught within these different sects of these different mystery schools of these different uh, secret societies and things. So uh, there's there's huge variation on this stuff. But a lot of it goes back to the story of once again, the the Egyptian mysteries, uh, where they say the mysteries found their perfection in ancient Egypt. And this falls back to the story of uh, what they call either Set or Typhon. And this would be mm-hmm. your representation of what they call Jesus now. See, they, they equate the opposite attribute uh, with the, the one that you would think would be opposite of what they would. Whereas you would think they would relate Horus to being Jesus. They represent Horus as being Lucifer, and Set or Typhon as being the Jesus figure. So they they completely invert this stuff. And this is where things get a little bit weird within the mystery schools. Because, as you can see, it's a total inversion of what you would think it's supposed to be. And this is what a lot of what has been going on with these secret societies and these mystery schools throughout history. They're inverting the natural order. And they're doing this by design because, once again, they believe through intellect they could become God. Now, with this intellect, what they're doing is trying to completely invert the natural order and turn it into something completely and wholly artificial that they could control because they can't control the natural order, but they could control an artificial order. So that's what they're trying to do. So that's why they're utilizing these philosophies and uh, belief systems and all the things that go along with it they're using this and the technologies to try to invert our reality completely they're trying to invert the natural order make it completely opposite of what it is so that they can control it and you could see this going on in our society today they're trying to completely change up everything they're trying to make male female and female male for one example that we could readily see Uh, They're trying to blur the lines of what it is to be human. They're trying to blur the lines of nature. They're telling you that these uh, straight-line clouds and stuff in the sky are a new type of cloud. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's completely natural and normal. They're trying to normalize this stuff. That's not natural, folks. That's not always been there. That's an (laughs) artificial thing. And no amount of them telling me, I, I can't even believe I went outside today in, in my travels today, because it's the holiday, and uh, they were hitting us hard with the chemtrails today. I mean, there's these big X's in the sky and everything else. It's not natural. It did, The sky didn't look like that back in the 1980s when I was a kid growing up. Sorry, it just didn't. There were white, fluffy clouds. There weren't all these straight-line clouds and this you know hazy mist everywhere and stuff like it is now. That's not natural. That's all artificial, and that's all brought about by design by these people in control that are trying to invert the natural order.
0: So, Wayne, we are just about there. Why don't you quickly tell everybody where they can find your books and what they are? <laughs>
1: okay uh my books are available on amazon or at pretty much any other fine book retailer at this point uh my latest book is called the autism epidemic transhumanism's dirty little secret my first book is called the alchemical tech revolution fulfilling ancient esoteric agendas through the use of high technology i'll be putting out a new book come uh spring 2020 uh that i had mentioned earlier so people could look for that and uh that's about all I got for right now. Otherwise, I could be found right here on Secrets of Saturn Live every Wednesday night. And uh, if anybody needs to get in touch with me, alchemicaltechrevolution at gmail.com, uh, files from the Conspiratorium on Facebook, or uh, hit us up over at Crow777 Radio, too. I could be contacted through there. I stay in touch with them there, too. So,
0: Yep, and Wayne's probably going to come back on with us very soon. We have a couple – episode ideas in mind uh i wanted to say good night to the fringe fm thank you so much we had 140 some people in here for christmas that was pretty pretty awesome actually i wasn't sure what to expect uh thank you to the folks uh, the two folks who donated on uh super chats and um we don't know what we're going to do next week yet but we will be back and uh that's that folks thank you so much for being here merry christmas to those of you who give a flying fajita about such stuff and uh That's it. We'll see you next week. Uh, By the way, if you need to reach me, uh, by all means, hit me up at Uh, secretsofsaturn.gmail.com. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.